Uh, we were snowed out by the snow apocalypse. Snow apocalypse. Um, snowed in. It was it was crazy. Um, but I am so uh, thankful to be back in person. I love seeing seeing new faces, seeing old faces, and and the Lord is faithful. Um, and wow, I have such a a wonderful job. Um, I was talking to somebody walking in um, about about loving what you do, um, and there's just something beautiful about it. I know you guys can relate to that considering most of you are trying to do something that will bring you life. Um, and so do something that you love. Don't sacrifice, I don't know, money or something like that, something so trivial, uh, whenever you could do something that brings you a lot of life. And I love being with college students. Um, I love preaching the gospel, and I love walking with students um, through the highs and lows of life. Um, so, um, so yeah, we're going through the parables. Last semester we went through uh, who is Jesus, and so we're going to be looking at, well, what does this kingdom look like, right? He's a king, and he brought a kingdom, and so we're going to look at that. Um, and so last week, we looked at the parable of the two debtors, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the biggest thing is, right, is we have a Pharisee named Simon and this sinful woman of the city, um, and we see this comparison kind of between the two. And Jesus flips upside down the entire way that the Pharisee was reading the situation. Right? He's like, oh, if this man was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner and she shouldn't be touching him. But in fact, it was him who was actually defiling um, Jesus by, by judging her in this way. And so he flips upside down the entire thing. And that's kind of what God's kingdom is like. It's paradoxical. It's, it's not what you would expect Right, and we're going to talk more about that this evening. Right, and so soon after this, uh, going into chapter eight, it tells us that Jesus is going through cities and villages. He's proclaiming and he's bringing the good news about the kingdom of God. What is the good news of the kingdom of God? Right. Well, part of what it is, it's the reign and rule of God piercing into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that the Old Testament was waiting to be fulfilled is ultimately fulfilled in the man-God, Jesus Christ, right? All the way back from, from the, the rebellion in the garden where Adam and Eve chose to define good and evil for themselves and turn their heads away and turn their face away from God. Ever since that moment, whenever God showed grace, judgment is never the end of the story. And he showed grace in that moment and he promised that a seed of a woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Well, in that we have a king coming and he's bringing the reign and the rule of Yahweh in the person of Jesus. And that will ultimately lead to the deliverance of sin and death, which is our biggest enemy. But if that is in fact true, if Jesus was truly God in the flesh and he entered into our world, not only to deliver us from our sin, but to bring us back into beautiful communion with the creator, with the heavenly father that we were created to be in communion with through his life, death, and resurrection, I have a key question. Why do some believe and some don't? If this truly is the good news, why do some believe and some don't? Well, Jesus tells us a story. He invites us into a narrative to engage our minds and our hearts. And he, and he asks us to explore this question together as he tells a story. So let us turn now our attention to God's holy word. I'm going to be reading in Luke chapter 8. Hopefully it'll be up here. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 15. This is God's holy word given to his people. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, 
Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 9, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for the seed that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and a good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. And Isaiah, um, he tells us that the grass withers and the flowers may fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray to thank you for the opportunity to be at Mizzou with these students um, preaching your word. I do pray, though, that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you would be present among them through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I'm a mere man, um, and, and Lord, if it was merely my words, they would go off the wall and fall to the ground. But your word promises that your word will never go out and return empty. And so, Lord, we lean and pray on that promise as we enter into your word now. Would you open up the eyes of our hearts as we seek to understand who you are and who Jesus is and the kingdom that he brought? I pray this in the strong and holy name of your son, Jesus, and all of God's people said together, amen. So as someone who has experienced a lot of sadness and a lot of loss um, and a lot of grief, if you don't know my story, I come from a background of addiction. Um, in fact, it started here at Mizzou um, where uh, the, the chief of my addiction got the better of me and I got into some significant trouble. But I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't shy away from tough questions. Uh, especially questions like this. Why do some people believe and others do not? Well, the first story that comes to mind that Scripture gives us is early on in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Jacob and Esau, right? It's the story of two children who literally come from the same womb, right, twins, neither done anything good or anything bad, and yet the Bible tells us that God chose Jacob. And then if we move to the New Testament and the letter that is written to the Romans, Paul interprets this Old Testament story by writing this. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they, Jacob and Esau, were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the, other, the older will serve the younger. Now, in this culture, you have to understand that the oldest son will always be the heir. And so for God to change something like that and say that the older is going to actually serve the younger would have been 
it, it would have been completely countercultural. It would have been an upside-down kingdom type of reality. Admittedly and in all humility, this passage was not only tough for Paul whenever he penned these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they're also tough for us. In fact, in that passage in Romans, I love how it starts. It's a hard passage, but it almost seems, if you really read it closely, it almost seems that Paul is almost weeping because he realizes some of his own people, where the Messiah ultimately came from, the Jews, right? Not all of them who are descendants from Abraham physically will be those who are in the family of God. But in reality, we've all experienced this in our own lives to one extent or another. But how? Well, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever or somewhere in between, we've all asked the question, why do some people believe this and some people don't? Maybe it's that family member that you know have heard the gospel of God's grace offered in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but they're simply disinterested. They're put off by it. They're put off by anything religious and even hostile to it. Maybe you've even heard them say, I don't want to talk to you about this. Maybe it's a classmate that you've invited to church or even RUF, and they heard the gospel clearly presented, but to no avail. You hoped that you would see the spark of life erupt in their hearts, but they seem to be blinded to the goodness of God's grace, and they harden themselves to this reality. Maybe it's as a non-believer, and you've heard the news about who Jesus is and what he has done. You may be kind of intrigued and and, uh, but you certainly don't give your allegiance to him. You think Jesus may have some general value to life because he says some helpful things a long time ago, but he's certainly not your Lord nor your Savior. Wherever it is that you are this evening, I think we've all wrestled with this huge question in our lives, and I think it's totally worth asking. Why do some people believe and others do not? Well, let's look at the story that Jesus tells this great crowd, and then let's see how he interprets his own story. This is one of the unique passages where Jesus gives us a parable, but then right afterwards, he interprets it for us. Praise the Lord. Thank you for making it easy. (laughs) Um, So he interprets his own story for his disciples, and then we learn about who we are, what the kingdom of God is like, and how the king of this kingdom comes. So I'm going to to reread just the parable so that we have it fresh in our minds, and then we're going to work through. So here's the parable again. And when a great crowd was gathering, and the people from town after town came to him, and he said this in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away. But it had because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. A couple of things before we move on to the interpretation. Notice in verse 4, it says that, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town was coming to him, that's whenever he told the parable. Right? And you may be asking, well, why is that important? Well, don't forget what I talked about last time. When did Jesus start preaching in parables? Because he didn't start preaching in parables from the start. Right? He started proclaiming the kingdom of God boldly. Right? And, and then what else did he do? He showed evidence through, through miracles. He gave sight to the blind. 
He healed the lame. He healed the lepers, right? And this was all evidence pointing to who he is and the kingdom that he's bringing. So these parables don't start there. They start in the height of opposition. That's whenever Jesus starts speaking in parables. He starts speaking at the height of opposition between the Pharisees and the scribes and then also the people in the crowds. Uh, Another author put it this way. Jesus was immensely popular. And people were traveling as far as the eye can see to come see him. And we see the growing opposition from the Pharisees and scribes. But now it becomes clear that not all is well with the crowds either. What does he mean? Well, he goes on to say many are attracted to Jesus, but relatively few are actually becoming his disciples. And before Jesus interprets the parable about these four types of soil to help explain what's going on whenever this great crowd comes, the, the, the narrative lens moves from a wide angle. That's why I'm picking up on this great crowd coming. It's a wide angle. And then he moves immediately in verse 8 to a narrowing down. What does it say in verse 8? It says, and some of them, in uh, and, and verse 8, yeah, some of them, I'm in the wrong spot, sorry. To you it has been given to know the secrets of God. And so, the, and so it comes from the, the large crowd down to just the disciples, and that's important to see too. Look with me at verse 10. It says, He said to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Two things are key here. What is Jesus saying? First, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to the disciples. Notice again, I'm going to reiterate. So there's the large crowds. And then in verse 9, there's a transition from the crowds. And then there's a transition straight to the disciples. And that's helpful to know because it says that it has been given to the disciples. That is a passive verb, has been given. Well, who gave it? It indicates that God is the one who reveals the mysteries of this kingdom specifically to the disciples because they come inquiring about it. In other words, the disciples only know these secrets or mysteries of the kingdom because God's sovereign will and his gracious decision to unveil it to them. The Bible always holds in tension divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And so I always say, don't try to solve a tension the Bible doesn't solve. A side note about this word, because we have our own meanings whenever it comes to mysteries or secrets. This does not refer to a matter that is beyond human conception, but rather whenever the Bible uses this language of a mystery or a secret, it's something that was previously hidden in the Old Testament, and it is now being revealed in Jesus. That the kingdom has come, and Jesus is revealing something that all the prophets never seen. But now this prophet is bringing the kingdom of God and revealing it. Second, Luke draws on Isaiah 6, 9, in which the Lord commissions Isaiah to keep on, uh, to, to say to the people, keep on hearing, but you do not understand and keep on seeing, but you do not perceive. In the context of Isaiah, he was commissioned to warn Judah, God's people at the time of their rebellion against Yahweh of their God and all of its consequences. Therefore, it makes perfect sense that after hearing the good news about the kingdom of God repeatedly, this isn't the first time that people are hearing the good news about who Jesus Christ is and what he's come to do. Jesus preaches in parables both to take away from those who have hardened their hearts and to provide opportunities for more exploration. That's why I showed you the narrowing of the lens. He's preaching to the crowds 
and then the lens narrows to the disciples because the disciples come to them, come to him and he says this, right? The disciples asked him, what does the parable mean? But the crowds, we don't, we don't have the narrative telling us that the crowds came up to him. The disciples said, hey, what do you mean? And so we do have human responsibility to actually have curiosity. But the, the crowds, we don't, we don't hear anything else about them. And that's why the, the lens narrows down upon them. It makes perfect sense in this context. So it depends on the heart of the person because Jesus sows the seed of his word. And we're hearing about the soils, and the soils is really talking about the heart, which leads me to the interpretation. So we're going to go through all four of the soils, and I'll kind of name what they are. So soil number one is a hard heart. In verse 5, it tells us that a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. A little bit of contextual work here. Right In this antiquity age, it was very common for a sower to go out and there was paths through people's yards. It wasn't like the roads that we have today. So whenever you hear that the seed fell among the path, that's not unusual. Right, The sower would just go out and he would just cast and then they would till the ground. Nowadays, it's the other way around. And so he would just go and he would cast it. And now Jesus' interpretation of this. Right, We also know from Matthew's version of this story that Jesus is the sower and he is casting the seed, which is the word of God. And in verse 11, Jesus says very plainly, the seed is the word of God. The ones or the seeds that are falling along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved, right? Those along the path represents anyone who hears the words of the kingdom of God and they simply do not understand it. They don't care and they're apathetic. They reject it and are unresponsive to the gospel. And just as the seeds lie on a hard earth, the word lays on a hard heart until Satan literally comes and snatches it away. Why? And well, verse 12 tells us, so that they may not believe and be saved. Therefore, we need to see truthfully the scriptures tell us that we have an adversary, we have we have someone who is actively trying to take away the seed of truth from our heart. That we have, uh, uh, um, the devil is trying to destroy us and to ensure that we do not believe the good news about who Jesus is and the kingdom that he has brought. Which also infers, you can interpret, that belief or faith in Christ is a means of salvation. It is not the, found, the, the what, what how we receive salvation is through Christ's person and work, but the means that God offers us is faith, if that makes sense. Faith is not what saves you. Faith is something that is given to you as a gift from God to believe that Christ is who he says he is and he accomplished what he says he's accomplished. Soil number two is a shallow heart or what I'll call a counterfeit believer. The seeds that fell upon rocky ground and rocky ground in this, again, in this culture, like there would be places where there was soil, but right underneath it would be rocks. And so the seeds would fall on this rocky ground. Those are ones that sprang up quickly. They received the good news of the kingdom of God with joy, but ultimately they have no root. And because it doesn't have any root, it has no fruit and it dies just as quickly as it sprang up. What does this look like? 
It is a person who sees Christianity as more of an opportunity for potential gain. Maybe that's psychological, maybe it's emotional, or even economic gain. But the person's faith is not ultimately in God, but it's rather in the things, the created things that God has placed here to be good things, but not ultimate things. That's the word for idolatry. Because they are seeking ultimately to use God as a means to get what their hearts long for. Prosperity, wealth, health, and other socially accepted blessings. And so when things are going well with this person, they enjoy the kingdom of God. They enjoy doing churchy things. But as soon as trials and tribulations and persecution and suffering comes on account of their belief in God or his kingdom, they begin to take offense and abandon the faith altogether, saying to themselves, that was a complete waste of time. You know why? Because they feel duped by a religion that promised peace and prosperity only to be brought to trouble. That's what it means whenever it falls on the rocks. They receive it with joy, but as soon as trial and tribulation comes, they fall away. I thought this was going to bring me peace and prosperity. I thought, and that's not the case. Have you ever known anyone like this? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time or been in Christian circles at all, we've all seen this type of soil and this type of heart. Soil number three is a strangled heart, or what I'm calling fruitless. The seed that fell among the thorns represents the person who hears the word with genuine interest, but also indulges the competing interests as well in their hearts, right? So that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke out the word and ultimately become unfruitful, right? They never produce fruit. And Jesus tells us in the Gospels that you will always know a tree by its fruit. One pastor illustrated it this way. He said, in the movie Rocky, his girlfriend always asked him, why is it so important that you go the distance in the, boxi- in the boxing match? And of course he says, then I'll know I'm not a bum, you know? For Rocky, uh, for Rocky he's ultimately looking uh, for this achievement, this athletic achievement to find his own sense of purpose, his own sense of worth and meaning to life. So it begs the question, right? What is it that is competing for your heart? I'm going to ask that again, slow down a little bit. What is, what is it that's competing for your heart? What is it that may be kind of interesting about the Christian faith, but there's other things that you want to hold on to? Maybe for some, the idea of the reign and rule of God coming into your heart seems a bit abrasive because maybe we're living in darkness and don't want the light of life to expose our hearts because ultimately we don't want to feel conviction or guilt, nor do we really want to change. We're okay with exactly who, we're, who we are. And so we keep a hold of kind of these interesting, valuable things about the Word of God, but we also hold on to our sin struggles. Maybe for other, others of us, think about what makes you anxious. Consider how that anxiety may be revealing a competing God in your heart. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Not all anxiety is that way. All I am saying is that some anxiety that we deal with in our lives, it could be pointing to something deeper in our hearts that we're worshiping other than God. In some way or another, we are all seeking to find cosmic value. We may not use that language, right? But we want to have a cosmic importance or value, and we are seeking to prove ourselves, kind of like Rocky, right, that we're not bums, you know? 
In our individualistic culture, we tend to look at our achievements. You guys are all in college. You guys are all seeking to achieve. You all are here spending a lot of money, working hard, getting the grades, getting the resume, working for the social status, using your talents, and even gaining relationships to what? I want to ask you like, okay, well, what happens if you get all of those things? Then what? Where in your life are you seeking to justify your existence or prove that you have cosmic value? Because you do have cosmic value in the eyes of God. Lastly, uh, soil number four is the open heart or the one that's fruitful. Lastly, the seed fell upon good soil, which represents the hearer who listens, who seeks, who inquires like the disciples. Hey, they didn't say, in this instance, they didn't say, why do you speak in parables? He said, will you tell me what the parable means? Within the parable itself, within the story, Jesus has even shown us within the disciples, all their sin, all their failure. We do still see though, that they're the example of the good soil, actually. Jesus is actually using them as an example of goodness, that they are coming and they are inquiring and asking, hey, will you help us understand this? I just, I don't understand this. By the way, I know college is a time of doubts. Nobody should ever shame you for your doubts, okay? Good questions are a proof that Christianity has taken root in your heart, that the kingdom of God is beginning to take root because you wouldn't ask the questions if God wasn't working in your heart, questions aren't the issue. That's actually, to me, it's a proof that God is faithful and he's at work. It's those who listens, seeks, inquires, and understands, and they bear fruit that exceeds all expectation. Don't miss it. This is a contextual note. Believers and fruitful believers, they do a hundredfold. Okay, nowadays, you know, with, with the machinery and stuff that we get, we can, we can make that multiply. But in this context, for him to say that they will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold, and Luke focuses on the 100 fold, is just like, <clears throat> he's making a huge point about how much the kingdom of God comes in and transforms the heart in order to bring the abundance of God to the world. Imagine that. That was our whole cre- like creature, like being a creature in this world, that was our whole mandate to come and bring the beauty of God into the world. All by God's divine sovereignty and his gracious provision does does it yield a hundredfold, right? Because the logical conclusion is either we contribute something to God's kingdom or, in other words, to our salvation, or it truly is God's initiative to open up our eyes to the good news about Jesus. And that's it. That's the end of the parable. Kind of explains it, but we're not done, right? Like we have, we had the parable. Jesus gave, gave us the interpretation. What comes next? Well, the Bible stops there, which means the Bible is forcing you to apply it. It is quite literally leaving you almost on a cliffhanger and saying it's up to you to figure out how to apply it. And so first, the parable is asking all of us, where do I fit? What kind of soil am I? What sort of hearer do I want to be? The Lord indeed does grant ears that hear and hearts that understand if one asks, if one seeks, 
if one comes like the disciples and says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm from this culture. I completely know like the sower and the seed thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you help me understand? And Jesus explains it to them because they come seeking. Where do you fit? What kind of soil are you? What sort of hearer do you want to be? It's easy for us to be deaf to God's word and flat out reject it. Are you the soil that rejects God's word and the person of Jesus Christ bringing the reign of God in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection? If so, this is a warning to take heed and to allow your heart to be curious like the disciples. And if you don't understand, humbly come to God with your questions and your doubts and seek him in and through his word and in and through his community. It is a place to be broken. It is, it should be, it should be a place that you don't have it all together. Jesus hung out with all the worst of the worst. That should be the church too. Are you the one who hears God's word and abandons Christianity at the first sign of trouble or trials? When it doesn't serve your interests, you fall away. Are you the one who hears the good news about God's kingdom and then also wants to hold on to your sinful patterns and behaviors until ultimately that word and that hope is completely choked out? Because what sin does to us is it hardens our heart. We now become like the first soil. Our sin has this perpetual effect of hardening us to the things of God. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose it because we don't want anything to do with him. Or are you the one who hears the good news about the arrival of God's kingdom and faithfully seeks wisdom and grace to bear more fruit in a community with Christians and to bring God's kingdom here? Do you want to be a part of that kingdom work? Because we're not just slaves to a God. We are co-heirs with Christ that are called to bring the kingdom of God here now through the indwelt power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do it alone. Second, the parable is not about us merely. It is, but not merely. It's also about the kingdom of God, right? Recall that he says, Jesus said that uh, like the mysteries of the kingdom. He doesn't say the mysteries of your soul. He's not, you know, it's not less than that, but it's so much more. He brings the mysteries that are being unveiled about the kingdom. How could it be that the kingdom of God is here and some don't respond to this? How is it that they see The kingdom of God arriving in Jesus, and I'm telling you, these are people that are on the ground, and they saw it, and they turned away. How is that possible? How do some believe and some do not believe? Well, the kingdom doesn't come like an army with a million men or a tidal wave or a a boulder coming out of the sky, but rather it comes as a sower scattering seed. That's how the kingdom comes, a regular everyday sower scattering seed. The mystery is that the kingdom comes quietly. It's slow. It's small and quite unimpressive. So how can that be true? Jesus says that there is a harvest coming. There is a harvest that is coming. A lot of God's people throughout the years have always said, where are your people? Trust me, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed a knee to Baal. God is calling people every day to the kingdom. Praise God for that. Third, the parable is not only about us, our hearts, our souls, our soil. It's not only about the kingdom, but it is about the king. It's about Jesus. It's about the sower. And guess what? He comes quietly too. 
The king of the universe doesn't come in with this sword-wielding warrior ready to conquer the Romans or a mountain being thrown into the seas and creating destruction, but rather he comes as a sower, sowing seed. That's what the king and the kingdom is like. Don't miss it. It seems insignificant. Be curious about God's kingdom and the kingdom that has pierced this world to bring others into it. Come and heed Jesus' word of the good news that salvation has arrived. And the good news, the news that even our, our broken, fallen hearts don't want to hear, is that it's free. That you don't have to earn it. That it's something that is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit for you to take hold of and receive salvation and deliverance from evil and death and ultimately Satan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that the sower comes and he is faithful to continue to sow this seed on many different soils. And so, Lord, I do pray if, if they don't get anything else, Lord, I pray that they would at least ask, what soil am I? Where does this leave me? Do I have it all figured out? Or do I come to the God who is a father pouring out his love to a son through the spirit in eternity? And I open up my arms and I say, show me who you are. You're the God that I was created to be loved by and to love. Will you show me who you are? Will you show me Jesus? Lord, thank you for uh, the good news that this brings. I pray that you would open up hearts to see it and love it and embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you come up and...